0: Good morning, we're reading from Matthew this morning, uh, chapter 14, but starting at verse 13 to 33. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up. On a mountain side by himself to pray. When evening came he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried. They said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are, the
1: son of God. Well, it had been a long day under the hot sun. They were in the middle of nowhere. There were no corner shops or, or food carts around. And the, the sky was beginning to take on that golden hue that it does as the, the daylight dwindles. How had time passed so quickly? How had the crowds grown so large? And how hadn't they noticed the the rumbling of their own stomachs and and the ones around them before now? Now, the the, the 5,000 men, they were all uh, straining to see, what is Jesus going to do next? And and their 5,000 wives were just uh, beside them doing exactly the same. But the children... The children had lost patience some time ago, the the teenagers were whining, the the little children were crying, and and the message was just the same, when are we going to eat? I'm hungry. All the adults were doing the calculations in their head. If I leave now, I'll probably make it home um, just before sundown, and then I can probably get something cooked up and and the kids in bed just a little later than normal but if i leave now then then i might miss something that that jesus is going to do some amazing miracle but if i stay well it's gonna get dark and it'll take way longer to get home in the dark and then we still have to eat and tomorrow's going to be a write-off at work and the kids are going to be upset and. So then the disciples, they are just as tired and just as hungry as everyone else, but they have a little bit more access to Jesus than the average person there. And so they decide they're going to make a move. Well, they knew that if they complained, Jesus would just rebuke them for their selfishness. So they they had to come up with a better plan than that. Well, it was out of compassion that Jesus began to heal these people in the first place, maybe it would be uh, compassionate, maybe it would be out of compassion that he would send them away. And so they hatched their little plan, and they they pushed through the crowd to the center of the action where Jesus was. And uh, we read this in verse 15. The disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it is getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. You know, it seemed like a good idea. It seemed like a good pitch. Maybe Jesus would buy it. But just like every time they tried to manipulate Jesus to get their own way, it backfired on them. We read in verse 16, Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, they laughed, ha, Good one Jesus." And they elbowed each other, "Oh, Peter, you were supposed to bring that caravan of food, or um, maybe John, you were going to order that takeaway. What happened with that?" And they laughed, haha, ha, very funny. And then they looked back to Jesus and the, the smiles drained from their faces as they realized, he's serious. He's serious. Well, maybe he's been out in the sun too long. Maybe he's just confused. Maybe he needed them to remind him how very little they had. We have only here uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And of course, most of us are familiar with what happens next. Jesus feeds the 5,000 men plus the the women and the children, all told, probably 12 or more thousand people, and he he breaks the the bread and the fish up. He blesses uh, them and asks the disciples to distribute the food, and everyone eats until they're full, and then the disciples go out. They collect the, the leftovers, and there are 12 big baskets full. It's one of the most famous miracles in the Bible, uh, and it's one of uh, the best reported ones. This is the only miracle, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, that is uh, written about in all four Gospels. And so it must be important. So what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, first of all, it tells us that Jesus has divine power. It is plainly impossible for five little loaves of bread and and two fish to feed that number of people. You know, it would be miracle enough if that number of people could even get one tiny crumb and one little flake of fish from that amount. But that's not what we're told happened. We're told in verse 20 that something more miraculous than that happened. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So every single person had their fill of food, and there was more left over at the end than they started with at the beginning. Now even if everyone in the crowd was enamored by Jesus, even if they all wanted to believe in him, which we we don't know that they did, but even if they did, they would know whether they were hungry or not. They would know whether their children are still hungry or not. All it would take, if it was just a a trick, uh, would be for somebody to say, a a few people to start saying, actually, I'm hungry. I I didn't get anything. My children are still screaming. But nobody said that. Everyone was satisfied. In a crowd of of 12,000 or more men, women, and children, everyone was satisfied. We aren't told that the crowds knew where that food came from, but certainly the disciples knew. And so, uh, what are we to make of this? What does it mean? Well, it at least means that Jesus was representing the same God that we read about in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament prophets did. Uh, you'll remember that in the book of Exodus as uh, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and to the promised land over the course of 40 years, they ate manna in the wilderness. Manna um, in the wilderness. Uh, so when these thousands of people who are, according to verse 15, standing in a remote place, which is just another way of translating the Greek word eramos, which means the wilderness or the desert, when we see these people, we should begin to draw the parallels between Jesus and Moses. But Moses, he he simply found the manna on the ground, um, like dew lying on the ground every morning, and they collected it and they ate their fill. But Jesus, he takes a a tiny amount of food, and he makes a, a huge amount of food from it, and so Jesus is greater than Moses. And... Maybe when we, we see um, somebody taking a few loaves of bread and, and feeding a, a huge number of people, we, we should think back to uh, Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. There, by God's power, Elisha took 20 loaves of bread and fed 100 men with some left over. And so we should see a parallel between Jesus and Elisha, but... Jesus took less bread, and he fed way more people, and he had way more left over. And so Jesus is the greater Elisha. We should at least see that Jesus is acting with the same divine power that the Old Testament prophets did, uh, even magnified. Jesus called into existence something that hadn't existed before. Visible, tangible, material food for 12,000 or more people. Now, only God can create something out of nothing. And so Jesus has divine power. But secondly, we should uh, see that this tells us that only Jesus has both the compassion and the capacity to meet the needs of people. Verse 12 says that Jesus had withdrawn, that's uh, likely with his disciples, after he had heard the news about John the Baptist being murdered, his cousin being murdered. And he wanted to get away from people. He, he wanted, possibly, to get outside the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. And so, where he went where, um, on, on this side of the, the Lake of Galilee is just outside the territory that Herod Antipas would have ruled. And he, he goes there in order to think, in order to pray, in order to consider what to do next. But on the way, somehow, many thousands of people heard about his plan. They, they maybe saw him, and they began to follow him, and now they had ended up in this wilderness, this desert place, uh, asking things of him. And maybe worse, they they hadn't planned properly because now they were there, after a long day, hungry. So what was Jesus' response to their foolish lack of planning, to their imposition on his time? Well, he had compassion on them, we're told. He healed their sickness. He, He fed their hunger. Now, most of us, we probably wouldn't have had compassion. We'd tell people, get lost. I need some space right now. Don't you know my cousin was just murdered? Leave me alone. And some, maybe they had genuine faith in him. Some certainly came just to see the show. He didn't owe these people anything. But Jesus had compassion on all of them. And let's assume for a moment, let's assume uh, it would uh, would fall on a good day for us and we would have compassion. Well, we wouldn't have the capacity to help all those people. You know, we can't instantly heal sicknesses. We can't feed that number of people with no resources. You know, maybe we could help one or, or two of the people that were there, but... Uh, 5,000 plus? No way. Yet, um, Jesus takes these these rude people, these foolish people, and he shows them that he has the capacity to help all of them. Now, regardless of how much or, or how little faith they had, regardless of how sinful or or righteous they were, regardless of how great or how small their needs, he took pity on them and filled them up with good things. And he takes pity on us and fills us up with good things as well. He delights to show grace and mercy to sinners. He's never harsh with us, but deals with us with kindness and patience when we cry out to him. He encourages us even to come to him with our needs. And there may be some of you listening that need to be reassured that the one who wields divine power on this earth also has the compassion and the capacity to help you. To show you care and concern. If you Humble yourself and come to him with your problems, with your fears, with your doubts, and with your lack. He will meet your deepest needs. He won't be harsh with you. He won't say to you, how dare you come to me after the way you've lived. He won't tell you about all the other people who are so much more worthy of help than you. These are the sorts of things that go through our minds, but that's not the sort of thing that Jesus says or does. He will show you compassion, and he will satisfy your deepest needs. And how does he do it? How does he meet our needs? Well, by turning the weakest and most meager supplies into the the greatest abundance we could imagine. And that is how he has always provided and how he always provides. He saves people from every tribe and nation and tongue. How? By dying on a cross. The weakest thing that he could uh, seemingly do. He draws all people to himself uh, from all around the world down through church history. And, And how does he do it? with a simple, foolish message of the gospel told from one person to another. It seems like it could barely do anything. He comforts and sustains people through every kind of trial in life. And how does he do that? Through quiet conversations in prayer. And he... He provides the most wonderful, most loving family that we could imagine. The most uh, loving people group in the church. Out of uh, sinful, distracted, broken people like us. Like the, the five loaves and the two fish fed 5,000 plus people, Jesus calls into existence everything that we most deeply need out of next to nothing. And because Jesus is able to create something out of nothing, as only God can do, he's able to do great things through us, if only we will put our faith in him and live it out. That's what we find in the second uh, section of this morning's reading. I take it if we believe that Jesus is God and can therefore create food out of nothing, well then it shouldn't pose any further problem to believe that he can walk on water. Those who object that it's physically impossible, well they show that they at least get the point. It is physically impossible for someone to do that. But like the the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep in Genesis 1, like the Lord God walking across the seas as on dry land, according to Job chapter 9, well, here... Jesus shows himself able to do what God alone can do. He alone controls the forces of nature, and he alone can suspend the laws of physics. And that is, I think, the first encouragement for us as Christians. The disciples, they'd left by boat um, just after dinner the night before, but by the fourth watch of the night, that's um, the last... uh, quarter of time before sunrise, well, they had only been able to make it a few kilometers across the water. They were stuck because the wind was against them, according to verse 24. They couldn't make any more progress. But the forces that made their progress impossible pose absolutely no barrier to Jesus, do they? He goes for an early morning stroll on the lake. He uh, walks straight across the waves, and he eventually calms the wind. And that means that the impossibility of their situation, all their frustrations, all their difficulties, well, they were simply the theater in which Jesus' power could be displayed. I'm sure it wasn't the solution that they asked for, it certainly wasn't the the solution that they expected, but it displayed his power nonetheless, didn't it? And in our lives as well, the, the frustrations, the, the hardships, the impossibilities, those become the best venues for seeing Jesus' dominion. Not that we should put ourselves into difficult situations. Nobody in their right minds would do that kind of thing. But... We will all face those sorts of situations where progress seems impossible, where the difficulties threaten to overwhelm. And when we do, we often find Jesus showing his power precisely at that point in surprising ways. We have church members who have faced life-threatening illnesses and been healed by God's power. We have church members who have struggled with serious mental health issues for many years, and yet they have found uh, strength through the message of the gospel to persevere. And I have personally cared for church members who have struggled with, um, struggled with and eventually died of cancer, and yet they found hope and joy in Jesus and in his church, through to the the point of their death? Jesus often doesn't show his power in the ways that we might ask or the ways that we might expect, but he always shows his power most clearly in the trials of life, or at least we perceive them most clearly there. Second, from This story, we we should be encouraged by Jesus' willingness to share his power with his followers. Though the disciples were unable to make progress through their, uh, their first instinct was to fear when they saw Jesus, see how Jesus responds to their weakness. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Jesus enables the people that hear his voice to come to him and and to do incredible things things that we and, and maybe everyone else around us thinks or made have thought were impossible. Now, that's the story of so many Christians who have faced trials and tribulations and persecution in this world. Looking on from a distance, they think, I could never withstand that. There's no way I could go through that. And yet when they find themselves in the midst of those pressures... Facing those persecutions or trials, Jesus enables them to boldly persevere. Those who've been called to mission work in far-flung places around the world, they're often aware of just how impossible the task seems. How can I accomplish anything among those people, they might think. But they faithfully take up the call, and as they do, they find that God is sustaining them, empowering them to do the work. The people who get to experience God's surprising empowerment and provision are not usually the most gifted. They're not usually the most capable. They are the ones who will go in faith. Go in obedience to Jesus. Those are the ones who get to see God's power displayed through them, like Peter. Third, from this we see what kind of trouble we fall into by uh, unbelief and distraction. At Jesus' command, Peter gets out of the boat, and by Jesus' power, Peter walks on the water. He makes a start walking on the water. If Jesus had enabled him to make one step, he could hold him up forever. There's no problem from that end of things. But, uh, And in fact, as he experiences God, uh, Jesus holding him up on the water, that should increase his faith, shouldn't it? Well, you would think. But his focus shifted, and his doubts arose, and he began to sink. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I think there's a funny irony to the fact that he fell when he saw the wind. Wind is inv- invisible. It's ephemeral. It's, it's uh, passing A a passing phenomenon. Yet after he took the the first steps on the water and and saw what was unbelievable, he began then to focus on the wind much more clearly than he saw Jesus and his power. He began to focus on what was insubstantial, on, on what was temporary, and what that might do to him more than he focused on what the living God was doing to him and through him. And that's when he began to sink. And I think that's the experience of so many people, unfortunately. People who have enough faith to take the first few steps of obedience to Jesus, but then they quickly become distracted by the the trials of life and doubtful of Jesus' power, and they begin to sink. If, people who st- if all the people who started out in faith continued on, every church across this city would be full to overflowing. We would need to be church planting all the time. But as soon as people start to follow Jesus, many start to become distracted. You know, there's too much to do with the kids on a, a Sunday morning. I, I'm afraid they'll miss out on the fun. They'll resent me. And, and so we won't make following Jesus, the priority for our family. There are too many deadlines at work. I'm afraid that the the boss will be upset with me. He might fire me. And so I can't give my time to Bible study groups or, or to other Christian activities. And soon enough... The ephemeral things that are just passing by, uh, those sorts of things in this world, and fear of them begin to overtake our focus on the living God, and so we begin to sink. And maybe that's some of you listening this morning. Maybe you know that you've been distracted by the things of this world. Maybe you started out well in faith but then you began to sink. Well, if that's you, then I want you to notice one final thing from these verses this morning. Lastly, notice how merciful Jesus is to weak believers. Verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And uh, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Well, no sooner had Peter cried out to Jesus than Jesus reached down and grabbed him. Jesus doesn't leave him to face the consequences of his unbelief. He doesn't cast him away into the deep water. Peter, you had your chance. No, he, he pulls him up. And I imagine him... Kind of gently reprimanding Peter as he helps him into the boat. Oh, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? And friends, that is what Jesus Christ is still like for all who cry out to him. Whether you're just finding your way to him for the first time or whether you've been wavering in your faith journey uh, uh, for many decades at this point, he is gentle and compassionate. He loves you, and he pities you enough to to save you from sin at conversion. And he loves you and pities you enough to help you back from your doubts and and your unbelief, to dry you off from all your fears, and to give you only the, the gentlest rebuke as he helps you back into the safety of his presence. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt, he might say to us? How greatly should that encourage us to follow Jesus, whether in the first place or to renew our, um, our conviction that we need to follow him. Because with a, a gentle Savior like that, what is there to fear? You know, if I sink, he'll lift me back up. If I lack, he'll fill up my need. His mercies are new every morning. And he is pleased to turn even the weakest, even the most meager faith into abundant, eternal life. That's the Jesus we see in these uh, stories. And that's the Jesus I want to invite you again to commit yourself to. To follow. Allow me to pray. Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus um, lifts us up when we begin to sink. Thank you that He provides abundantly for all our needs. Thank you that He does these things through what seems like weakness, what seems like foolishness in the message of the gospel. And the the people that you have gathered into your church, in um, the the quiet prayers we pray. Thank you that you use all these uh, small and weak-seeming things to build us up, to sustain us, and to bring us into eternity with you. Please help us to um, cry out to him again and give us the faith, that we need to uh, take the next step, whatever that might be for each of us, in obedience to him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.